0: Thank you, Graham, very much. Evening, everyone. My antennae are pretty finely tuned to catch nuance. Um, so I didn't miss the message, Graham. Thank you. When I was welcomed, Graham said, uh, We, we welcome Bob to speak to us tonight. I don't think we're going to be here too long. <laughs> <laughs> Message received and understood. And thank you, everyone, for your your fellowship. I was just uh, reflecting that actually the last time... I mean, I've been here uh, from time to time, but the last time Rita was actually here with you was the weekend when we shared a day together at the Berry Head... Is that right? Berry Head Hotel, so you can work out when that was. So thank you for making us both so welcome. Can can I... um, Their blushes notwithstanding. Just say thank you to Kath and to Kevin and to Tom and to to Chloe for their hospitality as well. It's been a a real joy to be be with them again. So thank you for that. Now, complete this well-known phrase or saying. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Good. Let's close in prayer. Let's just... (laughs) No, sorry to disappoint you. I'm not really going to do that. Yes, that is, of course, the classic definition of a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and it's, I'm not finding fault with it. Um, the, the slightly erratic side of my brain, however, rather enjoys Adrian Plass's definition of a parable. He said a parable is a story that keeps you talking on the doorstep while the truth pops in through a window at the back. I, I, I don't know if it would bear examination, but I think it's probably quite cute anyway. Um, we, we call those stories of Jesus parables, don't we? And perhaps sometimes in our churches, we have a tendency to relegate those parables to the Sunday school room. And if we invite someone to come and give us some Bible teaching or ministry, as we used to call it, we perhaps expect them to dig in to the profundities of Paul's epistle to the Romans. But the parables were, of course, the Bible teaching of Jesus. And uh, Mark's gospel tells us he he rarely, if ever, taught people without having recourse to the telling of, of parables. So pardon the triteness of this, but if it's good enough for Jesus, well, you see where I'm going. I, I think that's actually um, something worth noting because I, I was preaching some years ago and um, Uh, One of the leaders in the church in which I was speaking had a word with me and said he felt that telling stories to illustrate or to reinforce a point was perfectly acceptable in the context of preaching the gospel, but inappropriate in the context of teaching God's word to believers. I, I, I cannot get my mind around the justification for that, can you? Because the Lord Jesus speaking so often, not just to the crowd, but to those who were following him and committed to him, had recourse to parables as a teaching aid. So I thought that this evening I didn't come away with a hard and fast idea as to what I would share this evening. I'd just been thinking and a little bit of praying, probably got the proportions all wrong, you know, more thinking than praying. But this is the direction I felt the Lord was nudging us, or nudging me. So we're going to look into Luke chapter 18. And hopefully, and don't lose heart because I'm going to be fairly brisk, but hopefully we will think about two parables of Jesus here. They're both on the subject of prayer. I would suggest the first one is on the subject of how to pray. And the second one is on the subject of whom may pray. So Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And uh, here we are, here's a spoiler alert. In the very first verse... Uh, The game is given away. You see, sometimes Jesus would tell a parable and people would then go away scratching their heads and wondering exactly what it was he was getting at. And sometimes, of course, the disciples themselves were quite puzzled as to what the Lord was trying to say to them. But not so in this case, because we're told right at the beginning, Jesus told his disciples a parable, and the point of a parable was this, that they should always pray and not give up. So... This is a nothing up my sleeves sort of parable, isn't it? Uh, And it's going to do exactly what it says on the tin, if you'll pardon the expression. This is a parable in chapter 18, verse 2. He said, in order to teach them that they should always pray and not give up, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. cared for men. And the Lord said, This is the application of the, the illustration. This is if it's a sermon illustration almost that Jesus is using here. And here is the application. The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Think about the judge. Now he says, Think about God. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep Putting them off, I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, notwithstanding that, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people still believing, still hanging in there, prayerfully, praying, persistently? I I admire persistence, possibly because it seems to have been left out of my Genetic makeup to a large degree. Um, some of you know a- Ashley Richards from Efford Christian Fellowship. I know he comes and speaks here for the entire time, and you know Ash. Um, back uh, around about last November, I was chatting with Ash, and uh, we talk several times each week. And uh, I was telling him that a few months earlier I had joined a gym. And I had been going regularly to the gymnasium and the pool and I was doing exercises and I had lost over a stone in weight. And he sent me a text. He said, wow, I'm impressed. I sent one back. I said, well, don't be. If I'm still doing it at Christmas, then you can be impressed. (laughs) And here we are now. We're in sort of uh, whatever month we're in, March, and, uh, and I'm still kind of hanging in there. But persistence doesn't come naturally to me. I decided I would celebrate my 50th birthday um, a couple of years back there um, by cycling from Land's End to my home in Warwick, 303 miles in four days. I thought for a midlife cyclist, that wasn't too, too bad. And I had a little mantra which I repeated to myself as, as my legs pumped away and I stayed in the saddle. It was this, never give up. Never get off, never give up, never get off. Well, it's all well and good saying that. But those North Cornish coastal roads are very hilly indeed. And sometimes I had to let pride take a holiday and I would have to get off. But you see, persistence, driving on. Jesus says, look, there are many things when it comes to following him about which we need to be resolute. And none more so than this. Always pray. Don't. Give up. Well, that's the point of the parable. The parable itself is very straightforward, really. Um, It's a little scenario, a little playlet, and there are only two characters. So let's think about them one by one. First of all, you have the judge. Well, this judge, as we have this word picture from Jesus, was clearly totally unfitted to be in that position, wasn't he? He couldn't care less about people, their concerns. He wasn't worried in the slightest about justice. And he didn't care what God thought of him either. No compassion, no concern, no fear for God. Fear fear of God in that context means he he didn't worry about what God thought about him. He had no sense of, of, uh, of what God might do to him as a consequence of his behavior. Uh, Benjamin Jowett, many years ago, was the master of Balliol College, Oxford, and he was entertaining some guests at a dinner party. He was renowned for his great wisdom, his great scholarship, and his wit. And one of his dinner party guests apparently said, Dr. Jowett, um, I'm sure we would be most entertained to hear from you what your opinion of God is. And his answer was to look at her and say, Madam. It has been my lifelong concern to know what God's opinion of me is. Well, this judge had nothing of that, you see. So there's the judge, totally inappropriate for the position in which which he is. And the second person in the playlet is, of course, the widow, um, who really is, well, doubly, possibly even triply unfortunate. First of all, she has been widowed. Uh, secondly, she is being mistreated in some way some predatory man some uh, dishonest landlord we we don't know it's just a story I don't think Jesus was relating a history here but so she is widowed and alone uh, she is being subjected to some injustice and her third misfortune is that the only person she can have recourse to for fair treatment in law, is quite possibly the least appropriate judge in the whole land. You see, that's her position. But she has one thing going for her, persistence. She just doesn't quit. This is a woman who doesn't know when to stop. So she badges the man, and eventually motivated entirely uh, out of his own self-interest, he yields. And grants her the justice that he should have meted out to her right from the very beginning. Now, some of the parables of Jesus, as I'm sure you realise, they are they're what I would call God is like that parables. Do you get what I mean? So, for example, the classics would be the, the story of the, the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes looking for the one that is lost. The point of the parable is clearly what is God like? God is like a shepherd who cares for even the least and the lowest of his sheep and will not give up until he finds them. What is God like? He is like the woman who loses a coin and searches diligently till she finds it. What is God like? He is like the prodigal's father who never stops looking and never stops longing, never stops waiting for the son to come home. See, they they are God is like that parables and there are many of them in the Bible. This parable works in a different way. This is a parable that actually is based on this is not what God is like. We're not invited to look at the judge and note the similarities between the judge and God. We're invited to look at the judge and consider the ways in which he and God are dissimilar. Let me just quickly mention them for you. Uh, The judge didn't care about right and wrong. But Jesus said, God is concerned about justice. The judge didn't care about people. But God cares about his people. He calls them his chosen ones. The judge acted out of self-interest and took his time about it. God acts out of our best interests and, according to Jesus, generally speaking, acts quickly. Well, I've turned that over in my mind because I, I, I can think of things right now that I've been praying about for a long time and I'm still waiting to see some action, as it were, from God in that regard. We tend to remember, however, those things, don't we? We remember the occasions when our prayers seem to take a long time before they're answered. We probably don't remember so well the many, many times that God has answered prayers for us all day, all through the day. mean, little prayer Graham prayed today. Lord basically saying, take Bob and Rita safely back to Warwick. See, that's a prayer, isn't it? Will I remember when I get home to return thanks to God for answering that prayer? Well, maybe I will now, but do, do you understand what I'm saying? Generally speaking, I suspect God answers most of our prayers very quickly because that's what he is like. So do, do you see, this is a parable which teaches us what God is like by telling us of someone who is unlike God. Well, um, we need... Because there are times when our prayers are not answered quickly, or so it seems to us. We need to persevere in prayer. Keep on praying. And then you've got this enigmatic little comment or question at the end of the passage. However, even though God is a God who cares about justice, even though God is a God who loves his people, even though God acts out of their best interest, will I find people praying when I come back? Well, don't give up on prayer. That's the clear message of this parable. Now the second parable picks up in verse 9. This is probably slightly better known, I suspect. And certainly more frequently preached on. Luke eighteen nine. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. It's, it's it, it, it would be unattractive enough if they were merely confident of their own righteousness. But it's doubly unattractive that being confident of their own right standing with God, they look down their noses at other people, isn't it? These are the people to whom Jesus is telling this parable. When when I started preaching, not just in in college and in the churches around, but when I went into ministry full-time... preaching in the open air very often in the Birmingham Bullring and other locations around Birmingham. And I, I noticed that uh, my boss in those days at the City Mission could gather a crowd to listen to him preach. And as he preached, the crowd would grow. And then he would hand over to me to preach and the crowd would begin to, to dissipate. It was all very embarrassing. And I said to him, "said what, what is the secret? He said, fill your mind with stories. Because people love to be told stories. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And Jesus clearly had a mind full of stories. He was never at a loss for one. But I don't believe they just tumbled out of him any time someone jostled him in the crowd, as it were. There was always a reason why Jesus used a particular parable at a particular time for a particular person or group of people. And here's the reason why we get the parable of the Pharisee in the tax collector. It was told to people... Who were confident in their own goodness, their own righteousness. And contemptuous of everybody else. To people like that, Jesus told this parable, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So you've got the sort of moral top of the tree, the Pharisee. And then you've got the pond life, the tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Well, that's a great prayer, isn't it? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I I get. Now, if we we had to sum up this man's prayer, I, I would sum up in this way. His prayer, in essence, was, Lord, I'm so good. You've got to love me because, and then he trot out his his list of merits, you see. I'm so good. You've you've got to let me into heaven one day because I'm so good. And having boasted of his goodness, he then did something particularly uh, uh, unpleasant. And he pointed the finger at someone else who was praying. Now, this tax collector, we're told, stood at a distance. And he would not even look up, verse 13, to heaven. Uh, He did not seek some position where he was prominent and could be seen and heard. He, He was like people who sometimes come to our services, you know. Sometimes people will come to church because their curiosity has been piqued in some way. Or they've got some need in their life and they're reaching out. But they don't want a fuss made of them. They want to just come in and sit quietly and be anonymous and be allowed to just go away at the end. We need to be sensitive to that sometimes. And this man was like that. He didn't want to attract attention. He beat on his breast, and this was his prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So if the first man's prayer was, Lord, I'm so good, this man's prayer is, Lord, I'm so bad. I don't suppose you could ever forgive me, could you? No, of course not. I'm so bad. I don't suppose there'll ever be a place in heaven, though. No, forget it. I'm so bad. Now this comes to us with all the freshness of yesterday's newspaper, if we're honest, isn't it? Because I suspect most of us, if not all of us here, know how this parable ends. But of course, for the people listening to Jesus, this was a revolutionary thing. I tell you, verse 14, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. Why? Well, because all those who exalt themselves... Will be humble. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And those who humble themselves will be. Exalted. So. The man who was honest with God about his sin. Is the man who was heard by God. And whose sin was forgiven. That's where all spiritual progress begins isn't it. With absolute. Honesty before God. No pretense, no cover-up, no boasting. Just, oh God, forgive me, I am a sinner. People who are like that are the people who can pray. How should we pray? Persistently. Pray and do not give up. That's... Bring this to God, shall we? Let's just earth it in prayer. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these wonderful words from your son. Beautiful words. we used to sing wonderful words. Words of truth and beauty. We thank you, Lord, for these words of life. And we pray, Lord, you will help us to persist. Help us to not give in and not get off knowing that you are God who does want to bring justice to your children and quickly. Lord, on those times in those seasons when we have to wait patiently, help us, Lord, because many of us find waiting very difficult indeed. And we thank you that if we confess our sins, as did the man in the parable, you are faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we pray for the people in this community and those who are on the fringe of his church, who desperately need Christ but perhaps don't know it. Lord, please bring them to that point of honesty and humility before you, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, I come to you. It's 880 if you're using the book. So my script left here by Graham tells me. And the words will be on the screen, of course. We'll have a line or two of please, Kath. Then we'll stand and sing together on my signal.